Welcome to Winning Streaks. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa, and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls, and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical, and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. Today, I'm really going to talk about the big shift that I made um, to go from sales rep to trusted advisor and how that completely transformed the way I sold. Um, and it started with me, you know, burning myself out and, you know, ending up in the ER to becoming number one at Salesforce out of over 200 reps in the healthcare and life science space and closing $3.6 million in, in closed revenue. And so there's the old way and there's the new way. This is a history of the old way. So on the left side here, uh, you'll see, uh, this is back when I was in SDR and joined Salesforce. Um, really what I, was, what I was doing there was gunning, right? Hustling, using grit, using willpower to try and make my way to my number. So I was, you'll see on that desk, pre-workout, uh, a cup of coffee, a can of Coke Zero, some random snacks, God knows what else, but taking whatever it was that I could to try to keep my energy up, my um, enthusiasm up, pick up the phones, you know, get people to take meetings and force results as much as I possibly could. What that ended up in, in doing is just like causing me to end up in the hospital. So I remember it uh, pretty clearly. Um, it was a day where we had a spiff going on on whoever made the most calls or most call connects was gonna get some great prize at the end of the day. So I was approaching 200 calls on this particular day and I, uh, I, get a, I make a call, prospect picks up, and I'm about to jump into my, my intro, and nothing's, nothing's coming out. There's no noise happening, right? I'm like croaking, basically. So I have to hang up the call, and I have no idea what's going on, but all of a sudden, I feel my body like get chills. Um, I feel like I'm breaking out. I can't speak very loud. So I'm not, I can't even walk over to my manager's desk. I roll over to my manager's desk in my chair and I say like, I need out, I need to, to, to get out of here. And shortly after, um, was rushed to the emergency room and I had to quarantine for two, three weeks after that, two weeks, I believe after that, um, and took some time off as well, went on a trip with my dad and I realized like something needed to change. I couldn't just grind my way, hustle my way to my number anymore. I need to find a sustainable way. So I used that sustainable way, used a couple of the principles and tenants that I'm going to talk about today. And that ended up in me becoming, like I said earlier, number one, Presence Club Peak Performers. And now, as was mentioned earlier on the call, like healthy, happily engaged, or at least as healthy as, as some can be, you know, um, happily engaged and just fearing, feeling a lot more fulfilled with what I do and being able to execute more consistently, more sustainably on a regular basis. Okay. So what is like this old way versus new way? And I want to pose that question to you. So I've given this identity, this persona, a name. And the old way is the hardcore closer. Now, can anyone tell me what are the traits of potentially a hardcore closer? What does this person, you know, sound like? How are they like in their sales process? I'd love to hear some examples. Fast talker. Yep. Someone that doesn't have the thoughts well articulated or well put together. Kind of like 
rambling or scrambling all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like an infomercial, right? Uh, what else? Maybe Super it doesn't take no for an answer. Go ahead. Super transactional, uh, not strategic. Just thinking about like product and a service and dollars, not as much about real pain points, strategic initiatives. Yep. Transactional, not strategic. Thinking about themselves, right? Um, Brandon, what were you saying? I was just saying maybe it doesn't take no for an answer. Doesn't so not as just someone that even if someone says no or just will find any way to at least get the meeting or or do something out of the out of the norm. Yep. Uh, to do, get something done. Yep. Do whatever they need to do to to close the sale. Right? Is there? I'm curious for for all of you. Is there anybody in particular? that you think about when you think of this persona, the hardcore closer, whether it's a, a movie character, a particular sales role, like anyone that comes to mind. Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Who said that? Nailed it. Nailed it, right? I think of this guy, right? Do not take no for an answer, right? <laughs> ah! <laughs> this is the hardcore closer, right? He's not gonna take no for an answer. Um, does whatever he needs to do, says whatever he needs to say to get the deal closed, you know, closing that deal at all costs, using aggressive tactics, making exaggerated claims about the uh, product or service, right? They're a innovative new startup out of the Midwest, but meanwhile, they're this little, you know, mom and, and son shop trying to make these mini satellites that have no utility whatsoever, Right. Exaggerated claims, little emphasis on building long-term relationships with customers. They just want to make the sale and they want to leave, right? And they focus on sales, hitting sales targets and meeting quotas rather than understanding the customer's needs, okay? This is the old way, right? A lot of people mentioning Grant Cardone in the, in the chat, right? Glenn, Gary, Glenn, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin in that, in, that, in that movie. Put that coffee down. Who wants to win a set of steak knives? Can you mentioned burning the candle at both ends, right? Doing whatever it takes to close the sale. This is a hardcore closer. And 10, 20 years ago, this may have worked, right? And in some capacity, it still works today. But in the B2B space, in the B2B tech space where you all are selling, this does not work anymore. You can give them a really shiny 50% discount. And if they don't have the need, if they don't have a problem, they're just not going to pay for it. I've been asked point blank, I don't really, or I've been told point blank, I don't really care about your discount. I don't care that it's your month end, your quarter end. Like I'm not ready to buy, so I'm not going to buy. And that's totally fair, okay? So what is the new way instead? This is a persona that we call the trusted advisor. Something that we talked a lot about at Salesforce, but there was a big difference between the people who just said it and the people who executed it, okay? And when I think about the trusted advisor, it might surprise some of you to know that I think about Michael Scott, okay? And I don't know how many of you watch The Office, but there's a scene that, that demonstrates this really well. So can you also still see my screen and can you hear the audio? Just give me a thumbs up. I can see your screen, not sure about the audio. Okay. Yeah, they're playing. <clears throat> Try this. Art, How's that? Going over the needs of the county. Right. Okay. Well, Lackawanna County has not been immune to the slow economic growth over the past five years. So for us, the name of the game is budget reduction. Awesome Blossom. What? I think we should share an awesome Blossom. What do you say? They are awesome. You want to, Christian? 
Awesome. Sure. Okay, it's done. Actually, Megan, may we have an awesome blossom, please? Extra awesome. Now it is done. For I love it. <laughs> we would probably be upset with ourselves if we went this whole night without talking business. So oh, Dunder Mifflin can provide a level of personal service to the county that the warehouse chains just can't match. Well, we are out to save money. What's the bottom line? <laughs> That's why I wanted <laughs> between us. So I wouldn't have to just shout nonsense words. That's her fault. Did somebody say baby back ribs? Right down the street. Mm -hmm. Kenneth Road, born and raised. Spent my whole life right here in Lackawanna County. And I do not intend on moving. I know this place. I know how many hospitals we have, how many schools we have. It's home, you know? I know the challenges of this. County's up against. Here's the thing about those discount suppliers they don't care. They come in. They undercut everything and run us out of business. And then, once we're all gone, we jack up the prices. It's bad. It's terrible. It, it, you know what? It really is. I don't know. <laughs> business, but you have to meet me halfway, okay? Because they're expecting me to make cuts. Well, corporate's going to go ballistic. But, uh, we could, Jen. And then she falls in love because he's, that's a masterclass in sales right there. Okay. Can somebody tell me sort of what the observations were from that, that interaction, that the energy and the contrasting difference between, you know, Michael Scott and Jan, um, who is, you know, the, the female character in the, in the show, what are some of the observations that you made? Jan was trying to get straight to business. She didn't care about building rapport, didn't care about really anything being personal. I mean, whereas Michael Scott's like, I don't even feel like talking about your business, but let's just have a good time right now or just try to get to know you and tell me or that way naturally it'll start spewing out what the customer wants. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. He's the 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 energy between the two of them is totally, totally different right and i get you know maybe you're not going to be singing baby back ribs and talking about awesome blossom awesome blossom in the middle of your sales meetings and i'm not telling you to mooch up to your customers but it's about the energy that he brings to that interaction that she doesn't right at the end he sh he shows the customer like show me you know me right he understands the space he understands the industry okay so this is what the new way looks like and i call it selling softly which is funny considering most of us sell you know, software or cloud solutions. I think it's funny. Um, but they seek to understand, right? Not to be understood. They want to be transparent and honest in communication, right? They focus on creating a positive customer experience as opposed to just trying to get them to buy. They're trying to make sure that a buyer has everything they need to make the appropriate decision. They're um, showing up in an authentic, calm, and confident energy. That's critical here, right? They put the customer relationship and their needs before their own. And they prioritize ethics and social responsibility in all aspects of the sales process. And we'll talk about shortly exactly how. So there are really five tenets of selling softly, okay? And when I made these pivots, when I made these changes, that's when raving reviews started coming in from my customers, to my manager, to my VPs. That's when more deals started coming, more meetings started coming, more cold calls converting. Um, and 
it is around these core beliefs or these core tenants because we can teach you all the frameworks, we can teach you all the strategies, the tactics, right, the scripts. But if you don't show up with the right, again, energy and, and presence, it's all for naught. Okay. And we'll talk about specifically what those things are. So number one is belief and specifically belief in your product, belief in your solution, belief in your process and belief in yourself. And you might think, well, okay, it's easy to say this. How do I, how do I actually execute on the above? Well, belief in your product and belief in your solution. You can do this just by going through your company's case studies, going through testimonials from customers, asking feedback from your customers, right? Um, if they're existing, then gathering feedback from them. If you're working with entirely new logo, maybe you're, you've sold some deals a couple of months ago, you can call them back and ask for feedback, ask things how things are going. If, if, if you get a negative response, that's an opportunity for you to make them a happy customer. If you get a positive response, that's an opportunity for you to, again, gather more belief in your solution. And ideally, you know, for most of you out there, you should have a lot of examples of how you solve the problem, what your solution has done for companies that have gone through those struggles um, and how they have benefited from your product. So by going through a number of case studies, testimonials, examples, that will build a sense of conviction within you, right? Where when you show up in the, in the calls, you have genuine belief that the solution can do what it says, what you say it can do. And I don't know how to explain it, but this is stuff that the customer can feel, right? This is energy that they can sense, that they can feel from your tone, from the questions you ask, from your presence, from you know, how you enter the call to how you exit the call. This stuff matters, okay? So that's how you develop belief in your product and belief in your solution. Belief in your process is actually having a plan. So for a lot of you, you know, it's the 12-week year that we cover in the program. That's the plan that we that we use and cover. Normally I have it right next to me here. Hold on. So having my 12 week year ready at all times, like now I can believe in my process because I know, all right, these are the key critical things that I need to get done to move the needle forward in my business. All right. So maybe it's not the 12 week year, but you have a, some sort of plan, um, some sort of understanding of what you need to do on a week to week basis. And when you have that, you can have much more belief in it. But if you don't have anything, if you're unorganized and all over the place, then how are you supposed to believe in your process? Because there is no process, right? And then the last piece is belief in yourself. This one's helped me not just from a how I show up to my customers standpoint, but also um, interviews, like job interviews, career movement, career promotions, um, opportunities. Um, I, got, I had the opportunity to lead an internal enablement podcast at Salesforce while being an account executive that went out to thousands and thousands of AEs. And that's because I did something where anytime that I got a positive feedback from a customer, positive feedback from my manager, internal and external stakeholders, I filed it away in something that I called the me folder. And you'll see some excerpts from that me folder today. But all of you, if you don't have it right now, I would create a me folder. This is something that my SDR manager told me early in my career. And I would gather examples of times where you've really performed well, you've gone above and beyond. And when you build a long resume of that, you can show up to interviews just being like, hey, look at this, or like leave it for them to read at the end and, you know, blows their socks off because there's so much positive reviews around you, okay? So that's, that's tenant number one. Tenant number two, once you have the belief, now you need to establish credibility. 
so this is one of the excerpts from uh, my me folder of a VP of patient services and operations emailing my manager saying that Tanvir is by far the most prepared sales rep I've worked with from your company before and one of the most knowledgeable pharma, pharma guys I've met who doesn't actually work in our industry. Uh, he's been great in identifying our needs, finding partners, and then preparing presentations that provide a strong overview of his thought and proposal process. So I've never worked in pharma. I've never been a pharma sales rep. I've never you know, um, been on that side of the industry, but I sold to healthcare, the healthcare and life sciences vertical and pharma just happened to be you know, one of the sub verticals. Okay. So how did I do this? How did I show up as one of the most knowledgeable pharma guys without ever being a pharma rep? Well, one is preparing like a pilot. Pilots, when they um, get ready to take off, they have a long chest checklist of things that they need to go through. And your checklist looks like, do I know uh, the potential problems that this persona might be going through? Do I understand the economic headwinds, tailwinds within their industry? Okay. Um, do I understand their company and what it does? All right. And then how does my solution fit into their industry, into their scenario, into the potential problems that they may be facing? So these are questions that you should have the answers to before you join a call, especially with an executive, so that when the topic comes up uh, to whether they have questions or whether you want to lead the dance, you can show instantly that you have credibility. One of the things that jumping into executive calls that I see people sort of mess up time and time again is walking into calls with an SVP, a decision maker and saying, tell me about the challenges that you're going through. Well, that's pretty generic, right? Immediately that sort of, um, you lose a little bit of credibility there because as for them, if you're truly a trusted advisor, you should come in with some insight. Hey, based on this that I read or this that I saw in your 10K report or um, your industry, I know that problem A, B, and C are problems that you might be going through. Which one of those resonates the most? Or am I completely off the mark? Is there something else that I'm missing? Right? And then let them talk. So that's prepare like a pilot. Number two is question like a detective. Hardcore closers, they have a strict script right, that they're going through. And it's like, just use that script over and over and over again, stick to the script. But what that does is at some point you end up sounding robotic, but more than that, it doesn't allow the prospect to communicate their needs effectively and how they would communicate them. Questioning like a detective, what they do is they're always digging, digging deeper, right? They're listening actively. They're trying to connect the dots, find the clues within the responses. And then at the end, put it all together to come up with a solution or solve the crime which is what you're trying to do. If you've got a back-to-back line-by-line line script, it's not as effective or as empathetic, frankly, as listening to what they're saying and then thinking about what strings to pull on, whether that's to dive further into pain, understand the implications of that pain, highlight what the potential gain might look like, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Um, presenting like a professor. So I did this you know, by getting people engaged, uh, asking questions, trying to be educational and entertaining if possible, although I, not all of us had the privilege of having professors like that all the time. So one like an example of this is that before uh, or during a, a business case proposal, I always was very conservative with my 
estimates. So if our industry benchmark was 20%, I didn't use 20%, I would use 5%. And then I would ask the prospect before I showed them that slide, hey, like if we were to solve this problem, how much that would that reduce your patient attrition by? Oh, you know what? It would probably reduce our patient attrition by 10%. Wow, that's awesome to hear. Um, well, guess what? Like we didn't even use 10%, we used 5% and take a look at what that looks like. So in their head, they're like, wow, okay, this is even in the worst case scenario, this is a really valuable solution to us. And then lastly, closing like a consultant, right? Not trying to create fear, not to try to trying to get them to buy out of fear, but trying to get them to, to move forward based on their understanding of the problem, their need to solve the problem, and realizing that the implications of this problem continuing are gonna create negative ramifications over time. Um, sorry, I know I said a lot there, but any questions at, at this point? Okay, cool. So that's Sammy, number this is awesome stuff, man. Thank <laughs> you so much. The way you're explaining it is great. I feel like you gotta write a blog for each of these. Like, cause you asked some questions when you said prepare like a pilot, you want to understand their problems that you want to solve. Um, and like the economic headwinds that could be impacting them. What are those questions again? I'll just, as you say, I'm, I'm going to write them in the chat cause I want to uh, note them down. Oh, I appreciate it, Dan. So, you know, the first one is, do you understand the potential problems that that persona is going through? So it's a VP of sales. Do I know what are the top three issues that this person struggles with as it relates to our solution, right? Number two is, do I understand how the wind flows, the economic headwinds, tailwinds within their industry at that particular time? So for example, uh, right now in the, let's call it sales training, sales co coaching space, um, what a lot of people are finding is obviously they're behind their number and the, the methods of the past are no longer working consistent follow-up, you know, mm -hmm. opportunities coming inbound, the pipeline's not as full anymore. So outbound prospecting has been a huge key focus for a lot of these VPs of sales, but their sales managers don't have enough time to coach their reps on how to do so, or maybe they just don't have the up-to-date background on how to do it. That's, uh, sorry, question yep. number two. Question number three is, um, uh, do I understand their company and what they do? And then do I understand how our solution could potentially fit into that big picture once I have the answers to those questions? How long would you spend uh, Tanvir on? I know this is probably a big lead. You're going to want to put a lot of time and energy into it, but on average, how long would you spend getting ready for a call with those questions, with your research, et cetera? Um, not super long. Like I, the persona is something that I should know consistently so like if if you're new to a role like understand these things up front the persona and the industry it's just the company that i really need to look into which maybe takes me mm, 15 minutes 10 15 minutes depending on how how deep i want to dig with this particular pharma company you know i i did about 20 solid minutes of research where i saw their promotional video you know what they're talking about it in it they hired highlighted their priorities so i, I was able to speak to those so when you understand these things, right, it shows off like in your calls, they have a question, you're prepared and you're not the expert. You're probably not as smart from, let's say a farmer perspective, Shane, or financial services, like you're not in their shoes. So maybe you don't, um, 
understand the the company as much as they do, right? They probably know their company better than you do, but you understand how you solve the problem they face better than they do. That's what makes you a consultant. Yeah. And Shane, I've been using, I don't know if anybody on the call has been using chat GPT, but, or Bing GPT, like you can use that thing to get answers to those questions at a fraction of the time. And like, based on the question that you ask, like I've been doing stuff like, Hey, Chad GPT, you are a business process transformation expert with 30 years of experience uh, being the top consultant at McKinsey um, and all the top consulting firms in the healthcare and life sciences industry. I need your advice on approaching this particular prospect, a CIO at this company. I need to understand these questions. Copy paste what Tanvir said and like you can have a super quality answer within two minutes. This episode of Winning Streaks is brought to you by Untap Your Sales Potential. Two years ago, I was blindly navigating my role as an account executive at Salesforce. I didn't have any structure or any organization in my approach. And if you would have asked me what my strategy was, I would have told you that I was just throwing as much at the wall as possible and seeing what sticks. This led me to extreme burnout, high levels of anxiety, and frankly, a complete lack of fulfillment from my role as a sales professional. It honestly made me even wonder if I was even cut out to be in sales. That's when I found the Untap Your Sales Potential coaching program. Founded by Ian Koniak, Untap Your Sales Potential is a sales coaching program that teaches the exact frameworks, processes, and strategies that have helped Ian close over $100 million in sales across industry giants such as Rico and Salesforce. With multiple number one finishes and seven-figure years, Ian's expertise is unparalleled. This program will help you access the mindset, habits, and selling skills of the top 1% of tech sales professionals. After I started working with Ian, I ended up finishing number one on my team two years in a row, closed over $3.6 million in sales, and earned my spot at President's Club. Most importantly, it helped me rediscover my purpose and experience true fulfillment. But don't just take my word for it. We've had over 150 students go through this coaching program, with many of them shattering income records, exceeding their quotas, and achieving levels of success they never thought possible. So if you're ready to level up and untap your sales potential, visit untapyoursalespotential.com and book a free strategy call with me, where we'll talk through where you're struggling, where you'd like to improve, and how we can help. Again, that's untapyoursalespotential.com to book your free strategy call today. Now let's get back to the show. ChatGPT is absolutely cutting down drastically the amount of time you need to prepare Nuts. for a call. It's, it's really insane. So definitely would leverage that as much as possible. So um, that covers tenant number two. Tenant number three is energy, okay? And this is arguably the most important and valuable one. Um, and when I made this shift, it really changed the way that my prospects responded to me and the feedback that I would get um, after sales cycles. So I'm looking through Barry, actually, I'm going to call on you. I'm going to pick, you know, call on you a little bit here. Um, because you know, you and I recently had a, a sales interaction, let's call it. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, both positive and negative on how you felt about the energy on our call together. I would say, um, you know, it was one of those things where you can tell when you feel like you can connect with someone. And I, I got that feeling with you when you asked me about what I wanted to get out of it. So it wasn't like a sales pitch. 
but it was um you know your style is, is very calm and inquisitive and to me that I felt the connection where I was comfortable at the end of our call to make a commitment to, to sign up for the class. <clears throat> you know, if I didn't feel that I wasn't sure, I don't know if I would have done it. The reason I was thinking about joining for a long time, but um, Ian, I emailed him once that I only meet with, with people who are looking to, for whole groups, not just individuals. So when I saw that he hired you, I'm like, okay, now if I can talk to someone and I feel good about the conversation, then I'll sign up for this because it's not cheap. So, uh, that's how I would describe it, Dan Beer. It was, it was good conversation. You were calmly confident and very inquisitive about what I was looking to get out of it. Oh, I appreciate that. Wow, I'm, I'm blushing a little bit. No, <laughs> thank you, Barry. And I, and I, and I don't say that to, to toot my own horn, but it's, this has genuinely been a shift that I've made when, mm-hmm. when yeah. I was at Salesforce and now at in Cognac Sales Coaching. And it really starts with no attachment. This is going to sound like a crazy concept, but when you can go into a call without attachment to the sale, to the next step, and towards you getting what you need out of the call, when you can really detach from that, we talk about detaching from the outcome all the time, but when you can detach from that, it changes the way that you show up in it. Okay. This has happened a couple of times in, in my recent, um, you know, conversations is, and it, it used to happen to me all the time where, so I have a, also have a fitness coach and I have a brand coach. Right. And I remember getting off the calls and being like, man, that's not a very good salesperson. Like they didn't push for the clothes. They didn't try to establish next steps, like so on and so forth. I ended up buying both of those programs. And the reason why was because of how they handled it with this calm, detached approach of, I want to answer your questions with clarity. If it makes sense to set up a next step, let's set up a next step. If not, no worries, all good on to the next, right? So no attachment, having no expectations, but serving your customer to the best of your ability, no demands and no ego. When you show up this, ha- like as much as I, you know, executed this at Salesforce and you'll see how that translated in the next slide, as much as I executed this at Salesforce, when I showed up here, I remember the first week I was just trying to close everybody. Like I was like, all right, I just started this new role. I got to close every inbound call that I come up with. Like each opportunity is an opportunity for me to, to close and, and bring someone new into the business. And I shared this with Ian and he was like, uh, your job isn't to close. Your job is to help and serve the people that you're on the calls with. And that like completely changed the way that I looked at each individual interaction. I don't go into the calls now expecting to close i go into the calls with coming from a place of service and genuinely wanting to drop value to whoever it is on the call whether i can support them in you know a certain way that they're looking at their business maybe it's a mindset shift that they need to make maybe it's a particular strategy that they can execute but giving them feedback on how they can improve and get something so that even if they don't end up moving forward with the program they got some sort of value on the first call and that sticks with people right so what's, what's, what's the path to this instead? Well, accessing abundance is the start instead of attachment. When you think you have enough, you don't feel you need more. The desperation shows in your calls when you go in with attachment and expectation. It's, we, have, we all have a word for it in sales. Okay? If anyone knows the word for, for that desperation, please drop it in the chat. But 
that by, by coming from a place of abundance, I remember I was actually speaking to someone in the program last week about cold calling and, and um, they were talking about a fear of cold calling and not um, picking up the phone commission breath. Exactly. You guys nailed it and not picking up the phone. And I was like, okay, well, you know, what are you afraid of? I said, what if they say no? What if this, what if that? It's like, okay, just answer me three questions. Do you have a roof over your, over your head? Can you put food on the table? Are you still breathing? Is the answer yes? Okay, great. You have a lot to feel grateful for. Okay. There's a lot of abundance that you can access. There's a lot more money. There's always more deals. There's always more opportunities. If you think from that frame of mind, you're never going to show up in your calls fearing desperate for the sale. Okay. Be a guide instead of trying to force expectations and demands upon your customers. Make recommendations instead, right? You're not telling them what to do. You're showing them what they could be doing and then giving rationale for why they should be doing that. For example, um, one of the most powerful wallet words that you can be using in your discoveries is because, okay? So a lot of the time we might show, um, a customer might share a pain with us and we'll say something like, well, tell me what's the impact of that problem? They're like, oh, I don't, I don't really know impact. Okay. We're losing this much money, but they, they kind of feel off standish sharing that instead you could say, Hey, what's the impact of that? I ask because so-and-so, and so this is why it matters. Giving rationale behind your questions, giving rationale behind your recommendations, builds more trust, builds more credibility. Okay. And then the final piece being showing empathy. Can you put yourself in your customer's shoes? If they say, well, that's really expensive. And actually we'll, we'll jump into the, into some examples in the next slide. If that's really expensive, man, I totally get it. Like, I remember when I dropped money on this program, like it was a lot of money. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was a considerable amount of my savings. Can I ask you a few questions to, to see if it's even worth investing in? We can work through that together. So here are its examples, right? At the top of calls that I'm on, did this at Salesforce as well. It's like, hey, thanks for join, joining. Um, today, what I really want to understand is what brought you to the call, what goals and challenges you want covered through the program. And if there's, we agree that there's a fit at the end of this call, we'll move forward with a program. But if not, hey, no worries at all. You can totally say no and we can part ways as new connections. Does that sound good? So upfront, I'm telling them, you have permission. You, you have the permission to say no and tell me that you're not interested. It's okay, we'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be good at the end of this. Okay? It's very expensive. I'm with you. It was a lot of money too when I signed up. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions to see if it's worth investing in? Okay? When I get to the end of my calls or when a customer has finished like sharing their heart out to you, before you move forward to the next thing, as you know, a hardcore closer might be doing, they're always trying to just get to the next step, the next line in their script. Talk, like cover everything that they've just said, clarify, did I get this right? Is it accurate? And then ask for permission to share. Do you want me to share more about the program? Okay. Um, another, actually I'll talk about how I did this with pricing later, but um, asking for, this is why we have permission-based openers, right? When you're asking for permission to ask more questions or dive deeper, it puts the customer in control. It makes them the hero of their own story. And then I need to think about it, right? Common objection that we all get. 
Makes sense. Like I'd be super worried if you didn't have to think about it. There's a lot that goes into a decision like this and investing money of this size into a program. But while we're here, you know, I'm your, I'm your source of information. I can help you work through and think through whatever it is that you might be unsure about. I find that talking about these things out loud often helps. I'm an open book, open book. What's on your mind. Okay. So notice the energy behind this. It's calm. It's confident. It's collected. It's not attached. It's, there's nothing here that's forcing them to make a decision or forcing them to buy. This energy really, really matters. So um, again, I'll, I'll open it up for, for questions real quick, but any, anything around this in particular? Uh, you had a question. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, do you feel like this energy shift starts to sink in, like, when you feel like your your pipeline is bigger, like you've made more calls, like you've prospected more, so it's almost like a dime a dozen, like you have another call coming up in thirty minutes, so or you've already hit your number for the month, the quarter, so it's like a little bit more relaxed. Whereas if somebody hasn't put in the work up front or hasn't made the, the necessary calls or the cold calls or the prospecting. It's like they're struggling pipeline. So it's like almost every single drop is trying to be saved. Yeah. Very good question. And this is where that belief, like some of that belief early on comes from. If I'm executing my process on a regular basis, right. If I know the things that I need to do and I'm getting them done, the chances of me showing up with a more positive energy are better. And then on top of that, when I have a full pipeline, the chances of me, or when I'm consistently prospecting and generating me more meetings, the chances of me being desperate for the next meeting to close are far less, right? So a full pipeline solves all sales problems. Um, when you continue to prospect and build your pipeline, that's, that's one thing. Another thing um, that I find is we all know that sometimes there's negative energy coming from up top from leadership, right? Maybe there's talk about pips. Maybe there's talk about layoffs. Maybe there's talk about you know, cuts, whatever it may be. Okay. Uh, what I found, and I used to be, get pissed off and I'm sure a lot of you do too. I used to get pissed off when um, my managers would like be on my case about updating my forecast or updating the CRM, putting my notes, like filling out the fields. And that stress I carried with me into calls. But what I noticed was that when I did fill out the CRM, when I did update my notes, when I did um, do those things, not only did it allow me to stay on top of my business, but it also reduced the, the negative energy that I was getting from up top and then allowed me, gave me the permission to then show up to my calls with positive energy. Um, so those are a few things that the, I would say that even if you don't have those, you can still access abundance, just like you know, practicing gratitude on a regular basis. It's something I do now, which helps me realize that I have enough, you know? Um, and I know it's easier said than done, but I don't know how to explain it. Like that's just helped me particularly a lot before I jump into my calls. Like I take three deep breaths or sometimes I'll do some box breathing, like just before, like center myself before I enter a call. Like if I, if I notice that I've got like a lot of stress in my face or something's not right, like I'll take a pause. If it's six o'clock, if my calls at six o'clock, I can join at six o two if I need some, some time to collect myself, right? The prospect's not going to run away. So that those are i hope that answers your question the mug no i was just kind of like making a statement that it seems like it the energy starts to flow when other areas of your business are starting to 
be filled, like filling in more prospects, more meetings, you're making more calls, um, you're updating your pipeline, your forecast before your managers even ask you. So that's where I feel like being having that discipline kind of goes a long way. It, it definitely does. Um, and that discipline would be things that whether it's a 12 week year you use or some other plan or process, like when you know the things that you have to execute on, like I know that I got to update my tracking sheet. I know that I got to, you know, um, follow up with these specific people and it, it's less clutter in your head too. So the less stress you have, the better energy that you show up with. Right? Um, so these are, are some, some examples. And then one of the ways that sort of translates with energy, belief, et cetera, is in how transparent you are with your pros prospects. Um, so, oops, skip the slide. So transparency, this is what that looks like. And so one of my favorite testimonials I've ever received from a customer. Um, and, okay, let's start here. So from the first minute I was introduced to, to him, I felt comfortable with his demeanor. I've been in sales for my entire life, for entire career, and I'm one of the best. Little humble brag from the customer right there. Um, if Tanvir had used tacky sales tactics with me, our relationship would have ended quickly. But in our second call, he won my trust completely and he hasn't given me any reason to question what he says. This is my favorite part. I'm a cheap, cheap man. I hate spending money. I will do anything to save a buck. Instead of my normal behaviors, though, I committed to a $100,000 contract based almost entirely on that second phone call with Tanvir. The other employees were all very good at, and so on and so forth. Okay, so let's break this down and where this came from. Um, transparency, honesty, integrity, Sometimes salespeople think by hiding details, by closing things off, it gives them an advantage in the sales cycle, puts you at a massive disadvantage. Because again, like I said, the customers can feel this, right? They don't want to work with somebody who's dishonest, untrustworthy, so on and so forth. So in this particular sales cycle, this was, it was actually the, the third or fourth call that we have had, but we had had our introductory call where I understood their pains and problems, did a deep dive discovery where we understood more about the business, the technical aspects, um, the issues that they were going through on that level. And then we did, we had done a demonstration. Uh, so he'd seen the value. He'd even seen uh, uh, some, you know, upfront pricing. And at the end of the day, look guys, we have monthly quotas. We have quarterly quotas, but how do we balance urgency with the customer needs and their timeline? Okay. And I do this with honesty and, you know, using the trust that I've cultivated throughout the sales cycle. So on this particular call, I just called him up on his cell and I was like, Hey, look, like, you know, it sounds like we agree that you have this problem. Sounds like we agree that um, it's a problem that needs to be solved and that it's a problem that needs to be solved soon, Mr. Customer. Um, look, I'm a salesperson. I operate on a, on a monthly quota. I've done this, this, and this for you. I, it would mean a lot to me. It'd be a huge personal favor to me if we could get it done this month. And, you know, what I can do for you is I can, I can put together this package and this discount, but you and I both know that I can give you this discount next month too. So I'm asking more so as a personal favor, hey, if this makes sense to do, let's, let's do this. If not, no worries. It can wait till next month and we can see, you know, what other gaps we need to cover before you're ready to make a decision. And that was the call that won him over. And this is the case with a lot of my customers where I'm just open with them. Like I'm telling them I have skin in the game. I'm telling them that I have, that I will get a commission from this sale, right? I have something to benefit. And when you're upfront, open and honest with that, it's like, wow, like I've, I've never experienced that before from the customer side, right? And when you commit to serving them first and solving their problem and showing that you can provide a solution, 
when you say that, hey, it would be a personal favor or it would help you a lot, they're like, yeah, you've helped me out so much. I'd love to help you out too. But you only do this after you've established value initially. So what are some of the ways that I do this? Well, one, um, price transparency, right? So gatekeeping pricing, anytime you do that, immediately frames you as dishonest and trustworthy if you're like holding back considerably. Now, there are scenarios at Salesforce, especially where someone will want to know pricing and I just couldn't give it to them. Same solely because of the fact that I needed to know a couple of things first, size of your company, what kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, integrations do you need, et cetera. So like some other questions and details to understand which particular SKU that they would require, right? Which particular level of product, which sort of level of offer that they would need. So once you have that, be like, Hey, I, I want to, I definitely want to share pricing with you. Let me ask you a couple of questions and we'll figure out which tier where it makes the most sense. Okay. And if they, if they don't ask about pricing, I would even go so far as bringing up pricing before they ask for it. So you understand their needs, you go through their pain, you understand the implications. Um, hey, like, hey, would you want me to jump into what pricing looks like? I know that I don't like getting surprises. I wouldn't want you to be surprised either. They're like, wow, yes, please share pricing with us. Awesome, okay, it's 150 per user per month. And then when it comes to discounting, right, then some, some people might say, oh, that price is way too much. Like if you, if you share price, then you're gonna scare off customers. So what I would often do, in the, again, in the first, second initial calls, especially if I was with a decision maker um, or someone or a champion, it was, yeah, that's our, that's our list price. That's probably what you'd find on the website, but these are our discount levers, right? We use three levers, um, timing, quantity of users, and product mix. So they know upfront when we get to the negotiation stage or we get later in the stage sales cycle, they know exactly which levers are pulled to get them the some pricing flexibility there's no question there's no like oh they're just using sales easy sales tactics like running 20 percent off 30 percent off 40 percent off to get us to buy then now they know what variables i'm using to come up with that number and I, and I encourage you all to be more calculative with how you discount that's price transparency urgency transparency right you're not inventing urgency you're uncovering it so um you're not telling a customer that they have to buy by this point First, you want to make sure, again, that you agree that there's a problem, that, that they want to solve the problem, they want to solve it soon. Okay, once you have that, like there's nothing wrong with discounts, monthly or quarterly or whatever. It just has to make sense and you have to have acknowledgement around those first three things. And then you can talk about, okay, how do we make this a deal for you so we can ensure that you action upon it? Um, be open about your upside. Like I said, like I'm transparent about the fact that I'm a salesperson that I have a, I make money. This is my living. Leverage the relationship you've built, whether you've done onsites, you've done a lot of things for them. You've built a report. You've gone through extensive discovery. You've involved stakeholders. You've brought in an executive, whatever it may be. Like these are all the things that you've done and don't be afraid to list those out and, and pull that, that record up in order to leverage the relationship. Um, Fourth, so solution transparency, share strengths and weaknesses about your solution. I'd often tell people like, hey, we're good at this, but by the way, Salesforce, like we're not out of the box. We have implementation and that does cost extra, which sometimes is not the most favorable thing for organizations, but let's talk about your goals and see if it aligns. Okay, so I'd, I'd be upfront about that. It, it could take, it's not like an overnight um, implementation. This is gonna take you three to six months potentially to get into the business, eight months, sometimes longer, depending on the size of the business. Right. And being upfront and honest about that is something that they don't experience from other vendors. Not all the time. Um, respect and acknowledge the competition. 
HubSpot is a great solution. It's awesome if you're like looking to stay steady and um, you know build your business steadily over time. Where we find that customers come to, to Salesforce is you know they have a lot more integrations. They need to connect to, to a bunch of systems and don't want a civil chair effect between platforms. That's where that's why people generally pivot to to Salesforce at that stage in their business. So I'm respecting, I'm acknowledging, I know HubSpot's a great solution. I know Zendesk's a great solution. What think about your competitors and don't try and beat them or don't down don't crap on them, right? Respect them, acknowledge them, and then show why people go with you. Okay. And then the last piece is outcome transparency. So common drawbacks and hurdles, like I said, implementation. Um, for Salesforce, uh, maybe sometimes a longer evaluation cycle. I'll say like Salesforce is an expensive solution compared to the rest of the market. But th these are the reasons why people uh, tend to go with us. And one of the ways that you can do this is by using the word but, okay? So yeah, you know, you're right. Like it's an expensive solution. Uh, we've got a long implementation time. Um, requires, you know, some stakeholder engagement from your end and some involvement from some parties on your side. But there's like, when, when companies use Salesforce, their swivel chair effect is reduced drastically. Their experience results like X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, they've got everything integrated and it's less of a headache when they're trying to manage their business at night and they can see everything in one single pane of glass on a dashboard. And then another way I, I do it is because like I mentioned earlier, hey, what's the impact of this pain? I ask because so on and so forth. So I'll pause there, throw a lot at you guys. Any any questions here um, that you want to dive into more on this particular point? We talk a little bit more about uh, respect and acknowledge the competition. Like it, it, like Salesforce was HubSpot, you have a little more clear demarker. What if you were actually HubSpot and pitching Salesforce? Like the reason I'm asking is like, you know, like as a goal that's like going up against a platinum assigned the Salesforce ecosystem, you're kind of like pitching uh you're the lower end of the market or kind of that. So how do you differentiate or acknowledge that? Like, I mean, maybe some thoughts or ideas there. Yeah. I mean, each solution, each product, each service has a unique place in the marketplace. If I was to diagram all the competitors, there's a reason HubSpot is different than Salesforce. Otherwise we'd be the same solution. So I would just highlight that. I wouldn't focus on crapping on Salesforce if I was at HubSpot, I would say the good things about them. Yeah, they're really good for enterprise level companies, um, mid-market level companies who are, or, or even companies that are going at an exponential rate. But if you're a small business and you just want to do uh, you know, your sales, marketing, your service in one place without an excessive cost and do it you know, overnight, HubSpot's probably the solution for you. But if not, and you're going to see yourself needing like dozens of integrations over the next couple of years, you know, maybe you're better off at Salesforce or you're looking for like more an enterprise grade sales platform. That's, that's what I'd be saying if I was at HubSpot or something. I mean, I'm not a HubSpot expert per se, but I know what I'm good at and I can speak to that and I can speak to why customers make the switch. If I've seen case studies on a person making a pivot from HubSpot to Salesforce, again, this comes back to the belief at the top. Why did they do that? Why was that shift made? And if I'm educated on that, that's what I can share in my calls. Thanks for that. No problem, Gavin. It's Andrew. Yep. Hey, um, can you talk to me about when you were at Salesforce, like your information diet? 
like your interest in kind of what Salesforce is doing, like continuously staying educated and like staying interested in those things so that you can have that kind of educated, some of those educated responses that you say. Yeah. You want the honest, honest answer, Dan? Yeah. I, I the honest one. I rarely uh, focused on product. Like I, I was in the healthcare and life sciences space and our solution was like health cloud. I wasn't really cu- mm-hmm. keeping up to date with health cloud updates. What I was keeping up to dates with was how we solve the problem. So it sounds like the same thing, but it's really two different things. So there's the actual product, the features, the tools, the upgrades, the, the new releases, right, of the products that we have. And then there's what's another case study that we've done? What's another sub-vertical that we've worked in? Um, another way that we've approached the problem. Like those are the things that I kept up to date on so that when I had a customer going through the same scenario, I could lean on this information that I know from a previous case study, uh, report, um, perspective that I could use in those calls. And then, you know, respectfully, I would, my sales engineer, my solutions engineer would then help me with the product specific aspects of where we fit into that. Now, if you're, if you don't have a solutions engineer or sales engineer, that's when, um, and even if you, you do, uh, for some, you know, it may be product, product enablement, maybe down the road, but, you know, one of the ways that we position sales coaching, Dan, is companies, especially enterprise level companies, their enablement is focused on the product and their process, but they're not really focused on the prospect and the problem that that prospect goes through. And those, those last two things are what I'm focused on, not as much the first two things. Yep. Got it, man. Thank you. Does that help? Yeah. Well, actually, how so? So I see. Um, so, did you kind of have like a routine? Like every morning, you'd read up on customer stories, or in preparation for the call, you would, you know, find relevant stories leading up to it. Like, yeah. how did you kind of approach approach it more systematically, tact tactfully? Usually, it was in preparation for the call that I was looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to go through at least three case studies that I could drop um, yep. as an example, or include in my proposal presentation when I got to that stage or the demo when I got to that stage, um, that, and then there were scenarios sometimes where I had never heard something before. So then I go back and do the research and see if we've solved that problem. And now I can use it for future reference. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. But when I first started, like I did delve deep into, into customer case studies, because when you're just starting at a company, like you're trying to figure out what, what, what you do and, and how you actually help people. And that's one of the ways that I'd recommend figuring that out. Um, and then the last tenant is just authenticity, guys. Like, I don't know this Tanvir. I had no idea that he even existed, but it looks like there's another Tanvir in the space or like he's a leadership coach. He says, authenticity isn't about being the real me, but being true to our purpose and values that drive us. Don't feel afraid to be yourself, right? Be yourselves in, in conversations and make sure that your values shine. Um, uh, I know that, you know, there's, there's a strong, let's say, let's call it drinking culture in sales or they used to be like when we're talking about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street, et cetera. I always felt this pressure of like wanting to needed to drink when I went to onsites or met with customers. But then I realized like, you know what, this doesn't, and like, doesn't fully align with my values right now, or it's not really how I see myself doing business. So I just didn't. And I, I, you know, I thrive in more one-on-one conversations like lunches, one-on-one dinners, et cetera. And I focused on those. 
right? Where I could have these deep, meaningful conversations and, and relationships. So however that translates into your sales process, um, maybe like, you know, people are trying to force video, like a lot of, a lot of video prospecting. And if that's just not you, then you don't have to do it. Like use audio instead, get really good at cold email instead, get really good at cold calling instead. You don't have to do everything, anything and everything. Do the things that resonate the most with you and that you can, you know, use your values to, to exercise. Mm. 